These are the big questions that we'll all tackle in one way or another over the course of our lifetime. And all of our readings this morning touch on this in one way or another. Christ, for example, gives us concrete examples of the kinds of people that flourish in the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples that the ones who will find peace in the kingdom are those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who weep, and those who are hated on account of their faith. And now in giving these beatitudes, Jesus does not mean to give a list of rules. Right? He's not telling his disciples that they need to go out and become poor, that they need to go make themselves hungry, or they need to mourn. Rather, he's telling them that it's among such people that they will find those who are truly content in life. And Jesus, I believe, is speaking in the tradition of the wisdom of Psalm 1. The first psalm begins to lay it out for us. It begins to answer some of these big questions for us, like, what does it look like to flourish in this world? And you'll notice that I've been using this word flourish over and over. Well, it seems to me that this is the best way to capture what the scriptures are saying when they say, happy are they, or blessed are they. In fact, if you look closely at Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked. But if you grew up in traditional language Bibles, like the King James or the Revised Standard, or even the NIV, it'll translate that as, blessed is the one. There's a change in more modern translations to say, happy rather than blessed. And so happy, I think, is actually the better translation. So in Hebrew, there are two common words that get translated as blessed. The first is the word baruch, which seems more to mean that God is giving his word actively to someone in order to benefit them in a special way, such as giving them peace or fertility or favorable conditions to be successful. It's in this sense of the word that a minister in a service says, the Lord bless you and keep you. It's the idea that God is actively looking, looking upon you and he's engaging you favorably. The other word we have in Hebrew is the word ashrei. And this word speaks more to the true happy state of living a life that is close to God's will. This is more about a state of contentment that comes from being close to God. And so it's not so much a specific event the Lord has blessed you, as much as it is the general blessing of living well in the light of God's truth. Well, Psalm 1 begins with this latter word, ashrei. It begins speaking about contentment, living a peaceful and happy life. That's why it gets translated as happy, and not so much happy as a fleeting emotional state, but this idea of happy as flourishing in this life, doing well in this life. And what does this good life look like? What does it look like to flourish? What Psalm 1 tells us, as do the Beatitudes that Christ gives us, is to flourish in this lifetime is to be embraced by the Lord and not to seek status in this world. Ultimately, human flourishing is about our relationship to God. Humans flourish because of that relationship. Or we should think that the content and peaceful life is a result of God's embrace of us. Not simply our obedience and doing good things or making a successful life for ourselves. We have a tendency to think, well, if I go to church, if I pray, if I read my Bible, if I'm nice to people, if I'm a good, active citizen, 
then God will make me a happy and content person. But that's the wrong order of things. Rather, it's the contentment that flows out of our relationship from God. Going to church, praying, reading the Bible, being kind to people, and so on, is a result of the peace we already have with God. Psalm 1 says in verse 3 that those who are happy in this life, that is, those who are ashray, those who are flourishing, are like trees planted by streams of water. Such a tree is strong, its leaves never wither, it bears fruit in due season. But why is the tree so healthy and strong? Because of where it's planted. It's not that the tree is a special breed that's just naturally healthy and strong and hardy. It's not that one tree will try harder than another to succeed. No, the same tree planted in the desert will wither and die. The tree is planted by the stream, which sustains it through all different seasons. It's where the tree is planted that makes all the difference. In the same way, when we're connected to God, we can thrive in all seasons. We will bear the fruit of good works like prayer, like coming to church, being generous to one another. And these things, when they are done faithfully and joyfully, are done precisely because we're planted firmly in the streams of God's grace. He is near us, and so our hearts overflow. This becomes an important distinction for us. Right? We do not make the good life for ourselves. Rather, we receive the good life from God. Right? There's no 12-step process that's going to give you the good life. There's no self-help book that's going to teach you how to flourish in this life. Our efforts will never lead to true flourishing. Rather, to flourish is the result of being connected to the source of all that's good, and that's God himself. Christ makes it clear to us, then, that true human flourishing in this lifetime does not take on the characteristics that the world sees as flourishing. Christ says to his disciples, we will find those who flourish among the poor and hungry and among those who grieve. Why? Because it's in those states that we will be most prepared to receive his promises, to rely on him rather than on ourselves, our abilities, our successes. The greatest temptation in the world can come to us when we have full bank accounts, when we have full stomachs, and we never feel lonely. Because it's in those times that temptation will always be to believe that we don't need God. There's nothing wrong with having money in your bank account. There's nothing wrong with being surrounded by many friends and family. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a surplus of food. But it's in those times when everything is going right by the world's standards that we want to be very careful about where we are planted. Are we planted in God's grace in those moments, depending on him? Or are we planted in the comforts of the world, pleased with ourselves and pleased with our efforts? A life planted in our efforts and planted in the comforts of the world has no certainty of flourishing in this life. That's the theme of the book of Job. Right? In the story of Job, Job has everything. He has family. He has money. He has friends. He has health. He has status. He has everything important in the world. And then, all of a sudden, it's gone. Right? And that can happen to any of us. At any time, our bank accounts could be wiped out. Our access to food and clean water could be restricted. We might lose our health. We might lose those closest to us. 
And there's no predicting any of this. There's no knowing any timing. There's no certainty for tomorrow. And if we root ourselves in these things alone, if we think these things define what it means to live well, then we might likely be blown away like dried up grass when the difficult seasons come. The only certain means we have to find peace in this life is to allow ourselves to be planted next to the streams of living water. So Psalm 1 tells us to examine our lives, to make sure they are being directed in ways to remind us the true source of our contentment. We should ask ourselves, what are the things that can and will sustain us for the rest of our lives? What are the things that on our deathbed will signal to us that we have flourished in this life and that we've lived well? Psalm 1 gives us a really specific marker on which to direct our days, and that is God's word. Those who are happy in this life delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate on God's teaching day and night. They, they, the happy, the flourishing, the blessed, they find themselves connected to the word of God. Because it's in the word of God that we learn most clearly and most certainly and most fully of God and his promises to us. This is where we have to plant ourselves to begin to flourish. This is the knowledge of who God is and what his promises are. We get there through reading the Bible, of course, but also coming to church and hearing the word being read and preached, receiving the word of God in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Right? We, we come in contact with the word of God in those moments. But we have to be careful because it's not simply the ritual of those things that will lead us to a happy life. Studying the Bible academically or coming to church out of a sense of guilt and duty are not the same thing as delighting in God's word day and night. Because to delight in God's word is to receive its promises. This is to trust that what God promises in the Bible is true for you. It's to trust that Christ has come to take all of your sins on the cross. To trust that Christ having been raised from the dead means you too will be raised from the dead. To trust that Christ has overcome the world, that he will never leave you. That's the true foundation of the one who flourishes in this lifetime. That's the true foundation of being happy in this life. It's being rooted in the very promises of God found in his word. Amen.